All right, Psalm chapter 6. Psalm chapter 6. I want to read the entire psalm. It's not a long psalm. So we're going to read the entire thing together tonight. Psalm chapter 6. It begins by saying, To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. Now that phrase, the Shemineth, is, scholars aren't real sure what it means. Most believe it refers to some sort of musical um, information, uh, the way it ought to be sung, uh, something to, of that, that degree. It's a, it's a musical note, if you will. O Lord, verse 1, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Interesting words from uh, David. Now, before we get into this psalm, just a reminder of what the psalms are about. And I've given this to you every night. You see at the top of your notes there, it says a summary of the psalms. This statement comes from Dr. Kendall Easley. And here's how he sums up the book of Psalms. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer. I hope when we, uh, as we continue through this study, when we, when we conclude this study, that you will be um, that you will be overflowing with praise uh, and prayers to God. So he's worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so the Psalms remind us that no matter what life brings, whatever comes our direction, that in the midst of that, God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of prayer. He's worthy of thanksgiving, worthy of confidence. That's a good summary of what the book of Psalms is all about. Now, as we think about Psalm 6, I call this, this psalm a psalm of repentance and confidence. A psalm of repentance and confidence. It begins with David repenting, and it ends with David expressing his confidence in the Lord. Now, this psalm is called one of the penitential psalms, and penitential refers to the idea of repentance, uh, David getting right with God. There are seven of these penitential psalms in uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. This is the first of the seven that scholars call penitential psalms, where David is repenting of sin, desiring to get right with God. That's what this psalm is all about. And uh, Psalm 6 is interesting because in this, in this chapter... David is looking around at his enemies, he's looking around at his difficult circumstances, but then he looks within, and he sees some things in his life that need to be addressed. And so if you walk through this psalm, there are uh, four headings that I want you to, to, to look at with me as we discuss this psalm. The first heading is this, I want us to observe David's discipline, David's discipline. There in verse 1, David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your 
anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So David understands that, that he is going through something difficult because of something in his life that needs to be addressed. And he believes that what he is going through is by the hand of God. He believes that, that God is disciplining him uh, for specific purposes. And so this is a good opportunity for us to just pause and talk about God's discipline. Uh, the Bible teaches that God is our Father. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a child of God and we can call God Father. Isn't that wonderful that we can call God Father? And because God is your Father through Jesus Christ, He's going to treat you like a child. He's going to treat you like a good father treats their children. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. He's going to guide you. And if required... He's going to discipline you, to get your attention, to to get you back on the right path. Why do parents discipline their children? Well, we want to protect them from harm, right? If they're doing something that's going to lead to their harm or destruction, we want to get their attention through discipline, so they'll stop doing that thing and start doing the right things. They'll start stop going down the wrong path and get back on the right path. That's what discipline is all about. And God, as our Heavenly Father, loves us so much that He will at times intervene in our lives with difficult circumstances, uh, discipline, to get us back on the right path. And that's because He loves us. And so, let's talk about God's discipline. Now, the first statement I want you to see is this. God's discipline of His children can be physical, emotional, spiritual, or circumstantial. God's discipline of His children can be physical, emotional, spiritual, or circumstantial. So notice here the physical aspect. Look what David says in verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. And so David here is having physical uh, symptoms of hardship. And he he notices that physical, the physical maladies, the physical weakness that he's experiencing is a form of God's discipline in his life. And God... Uh, sometimes will uh, take us through something difficult, uh, even physically, to get our attention, right? Uh, for example, if you've ever found yourself kind of straying and kind of living in self-dependence and just kind of doing your own thing and keeping God at arm's length and really not walking with Him or talking with Him, isn't it funny that when you get sick, all of a sudden you start to pray? Isn't that interesting? You ever found yourself sick? or really sick, or in a hospital, and all of a sudden, what, what, you're praying, aren't you? You're focused on the Lord. Sometimes God will allow physical ailments into our lives to get our attention. So we'll begin to see our dependence upon Him, and talk to Him again, and refocus upon Him. So sometimes His discipline can be physical. Now, not all physical malady is, is God's discipline. Sometimes God allows sickness into our lives, and we don't know the reason. We may not even know the reason this side of heaven. So not every sickness or disease can be attributed to wrongdoing in our lives. You don't want to play that game. That's what Job's friends tried to do with Job, right? Hey, Job, you're suffering. What did you do wrong? And Job's saying, listen, as far as I know, I'm walking with God. I, I'm, I'm not living in, in rebellion against Him. And they said, uh, no, 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 Job. You are suffering so bad, you, you must have done something wrong. And Job said, I don't know what it is. And so Job's friends had deficient theology. They believed if you are going through something difficult, you did something wrong. Well, there, are, there is a category, a biblical category, for unexplained suffering, isn't there? Sometimes we suffer and we don't know why. But 
Sometimes God will directly intervene in your life with physical ailments to get your attention. All right? Also, God's discipline can be emotional. It can be emotional. Look what he says there in verse 2. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? He, he's, he's calling out to God, how long is this going to last? How long is my hardship and my pain going to last? He's, he's dealing here with distress. You might even say he's dealing with depression here. How long is this going to go on? And he's, he's crying out from an emotional perspective. And, and he's in emotional turmoil, I believe, because God wants to get his attention. And sometimes he'll allow us to go through emotional turmoil to get our attention. Also, his discipline can be spiritual. Notice in verse 2, he says, or verse 3, he says, My soul also is troubled. My bones are troubled, and my soul is troubled. I'm, I'm in spiritual turmoil. I'm unsettled on the inside. Things are not right spiritually, and I know that. And that's God getting my attention. That was David's understanding. But also, uh, God's discipline can be circumstantial. Look what the Bible says in verse 6. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. That's emotion. He's down. He's downcast. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of what? All my foes. And so David is dealing with foes. People that are opposed to him trying to destroy him. And most of David's life he had some foes in his life hunting him down. We don't know exactly what situation he's talking about here. Perhaps it's Absalom's rebellion. Perhaps it's the Philistines. Perhaps it's uh, King Saul. We don't know exactly what period he's talking about here. But he, he knows that his, his, his circumstances are difficult. And he sees that as God disciplining him, getting his attention. And sometimes God will allow us to be squeezed by life. Because listen... When you're squeezed by life, what's on the inside comes out, right? If I had a tube of toothpaste up here and I squeezed it, what would come out? Toothpaste. And when you're squeezed by life, what's on the inside is going to come out. And sometimes God will allow you to be squeezed by life because he wants you to, he wants you to understand what's on the inside. He wants you to understand what's going on in your heart and in your life. And so God's discipline of his children can be physical, emotional, spiritual, or circumstantial. Is God getting our attention to get us back going the right direction. Now, here's the second thing about God's discipline. God's discipline of His children is a reflection of grace. God, Listen, God is not capricious. God does not fly off the handle. Uh, God is a God who is our Father through Jesus Christ, and He's a perfect Father. He always disciplines in the right way, For the right reason. And his discipline in our lives, when he gets our attention, it's not because he is against us. It's because he is for us. And it is his grace that he cares enough about us to intervene. Right? Look what David says there in verse 1. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. So Lord, if this is discipline, please don't let it be your anger. I can't handle your anger. Nor discipline me in your wrath. Look at the next phrase. Be gracious to me, O Lord. You know what David is saying there? This is so rich. David is saying, I don't want, Lord, I don't want justice. Because if you gave me justice, you would wipe me out. So don't deal with me in your anger. I I need grace. 
I need undeserved, unmerited favor. So God, as you take me through this painful period of my life, as you discipline me, please, Lord, let it be a reflection of your grace, not your anger. And that's exactly what it was. God's discipline of his children is a reflection of grace. It's God's goodness in our lives that he cares enough to to discipline us, to help us to get back on the right path. Listen, aren't you glad that when you were saved, when you were born again, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, aren't you glad that God didn't say at that moment, hey, you're in the family now, you're going to heaven, good luck, hope it works out good for you in this life. I'll see you in heaven. I'm so glad that when God saved me, he began a relationship with me, and he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me, and he's with me every step of the way. I'm not left to my own devices. God is actively, listen, actively working in my life. And part of that is discipline, because he's a God of grace that cares about our spiritual well-being. Third, God's discipline of his children has a purpose. Verse 1, he says there, don't rebuke me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Now that, that word discipline is interesting, and uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about it over in Hebrews chapter 12. So turn there with me. Let me show you what the Bible says about God's discipline for his children, the purpose behind it. Hebrews chapter 12, we've already hinted at it, but this passage is very clear. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you are you're struggling against sin, but listen, you need to follow the example of Jesus. He was obedient even though it cost him his life. So are you going to pursue obedience, running away from sin, obeying God's will, even to the point where it costs you something? That's, that's what he's saying. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he, when reproved by Him. For the Lord, watch this, disciplines the one He what? Loves. And chastises every son whom He receives. So God disciplines us as an act of His love. But why does He do it? Look what it says next. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons But what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, earthly fathers, for, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, now watch this, he, God, disciplines us for our Good, that we may share his what? Holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's not pleasant to be disciplined, is it? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so here, the writer of Hebrews clearly uh, explains God's purpose and discipline. He wants to help us to grow in holiness. He wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to pursue the right things. He wants us to to go the right direction on the right path, not the wrong direction on the wrong path. And so the reason 
that David was being disciplined, the reason that you and I are disciplined at points in our Christian journey is because God wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to go the right direction. So there's a purpose in his discipline. And again, it's motivated by his grace. It's motivated by his love. But here's the next thing about discipline. God's discipline of his children has an ending. God's discipline of his children has an ending. Look what it says in chapter 6. Psalm 6, verse 3. But you, O Lord, how long? My soul is troubled. How long? David's saying, is there an ending to this? The answer is there is an ending. God will discipline you as long as it requires. But when God has accomplished what he wants to accomplish, then the discipline will come to an end. And God is our Father. He's all-knowing. He knows what's right. He knows what's best. So we can, we can trust him even in the midst of discipline, can't we? I love this quote. I think it's there in your notes by Warren Wiersbe. Is there a quote from Warren Wiersbe there? Knowing that he deserved far more than what he was enduring, David begged for mercy and asked God to send help speedily. The painful question, how long, is asked at least 16 times in the Psalms. The answer to the question is, I will discipline you until you learn the lesson I want you to learn and are equipped for the work I want you to do. According to Hebrews 12, when God disciplines us, we can despise it, resist it, collapse under it, and quit, or accept it and submit. What God is seeking is submission. So, look at me. If you find yourself going through something difficult, and it's God trying to get your attention, don't just, don't just beg for the end. Don't just say, God, make it go away. Ask God for the lesson that he wants you to learn. God, what do you want me to learn in this? Because once you learn the lesson and submit to what God wants to do in your life, that's when it will come to an end, right? And so, God's discipline of his children has an ending. So, here's the big question. Wait, how do I know when I'm being disciplined? Isn't that a good question? How can I interpret my circumstances or my hardship if I'm going through physical issues or emotional issues or spiritual issues or circumstantial things? How do I know it's God's discipline? And there's no easy answer to that question, but here's my experience. When God disciplines me, there is a heavy dose of conviction that accompanies it. In other words, God God makes me miserable and he shows me there's an area in my life that needs to be addressed. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us. That's one of his jobs in our life. I tell people, that's one of the ways I know I'm a Christian. I can't get away with anything. When I, when I sin, when I blow it, the Holy Spirit immediately convicts my heart. Wait, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You need to get right. And so when God brings discipline in my life as an act of grace and love to get my attention, it's accompanied by deep conviction. And I, there's no, I know what's going on. Because there's conviction in my life about a particular sin issue that I need to get right. And so, I believe that if God is disciplining you to get something addressed in your life, He's going to accompany that discipline, that hardship, with deep conviction by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? So when you find yourself going through something hard, say, is there, is there conviction in my life? Is there, is there an area I need to get right? A lot of times I'll pray this prayer. Let me give you a prayer that God will answer every time. You want, to hear, you want to hear a prayer God will answer immediately every time? Are you interested? Yes. It's not a pleasant prayer. Many times I'll pray this. I'll say, God, would you bring to the surface of my heart any impurities that don't belong there? And I'm telling you, without fail, God will begin to show me some areas in my life that need to be addressed. 
You know, the Bible calls the Lord a, a refining fire, right? You know what fire does? Fire purifies. It purifies metals. If, if you put fire to metal, the impurities will come to the surface, right? And the, the pure metal will be underneath those impurities. Well, when you get near to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're walking with Him and He's a refining fire in your life and you ask Him to do it, He will begin to surface those impurities in your heart that need to be addressed. And that's the convicting work of the Spirit. And so, we see here David's discipline. Now, I could give you some examples of God's discipline in my life, but it's none of your business. Right? I don't want to give you all my issues, all right? But I'm just telling you, it's real. It's real. And, and, and listen to me, I'm so grateful that God cares enough about me to intervene in my life when I'm going the wrong direction. How about you? It's discipline. Now, the second thing I want you to see, second heading, is I want you to see David's prayer. David's prayer. And, and before we kind of get into the outline there, David's prayer is very personal because notice here, uh, five times in four verses he uses the title Lord. Everyone, everyone see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see Lord in all capital letters, that stands for the divine name of God. The, the name of God that, uh, that the Lord gave to, to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. It's... It, it's uh, transliterated uh, uh, YHWH, somewhat sometimes pronounced Yahweh, translated in our English Bibles as Lord in all caps. And that's the covenant name. He's not praying to a generic God out there. He's praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the, the God of Israel, the one true God. And, and so he uses that title five times in four verses. Look in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Heal me, O Lord. Verse 3, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Verse 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Then at the end of the psalm, he uses the, the term Lord three more times. And so this is a personal prayer. He's talking to God. He has a relationship with him, and he wants God to come to his rescue. I like how James Montgomery Boyce says it. In times of victory, call upon God. Praise Him. In times of defeat, call upon God. Ask for help. In times of temptation, call upon God. Seek deliverance. In the dark night of the soul, call upon God. Request light. God is our pathway through the darkness. He is our one sure hope in life and in death. He is our hope even when we are unaware of His presence. So what do we learn from David? Call upon God. No matter what's going on in your life, call upon God. That's what David models consistently in the Psalms. And his, his prayer is twofold. Number one, he says, heal me. Heal me. What he says there in verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. So God, would you intervene in my life and, and bring healing in my life? He's asking God for, for healing. I believe the healing here is, is, is physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's all of that. He's asking for God to heal him. And by the way, how many of you understand that, that healing is required in our life for more things than just physical issues? I mean, life will do a number on you, won't it? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And sometimes we just need God to, to heal our wounds, the wounds that life gives us because life is so very difficult. And so he says, heal me. Always a good prayer to pray. Then he prays, deliver me. 
Look what he says in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. So I'm, I'm surrounded by enemies. And yes, the circumstances are difficult. I know, God, you're trying to get my attention. You got my attention now. I get the point. Now, would you deliver me? Would you save me from these enemies that want to destroy my life? And when you find yourself in something difficult, difficult circumstances, hard circumstances, when you feel like you are surrounded by life, when you feel like you are uh, treading water and your head's about to go under, Ask God for his deliverance. We see here David's prayer, his very personal prayer, asking God for his help in this difficult time in his life. But then third, we see David's desire. David's desire. Look what he says in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, love verse 5. For in death... There's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? You know what David's saying there? David's saying, Lord, if you bring my life to an end, then I won't have the opportunity here on earth to give you praise. I won't have the opportunity to worship you. I won't have the opportunity to point others to you as they see me praising and worshiping you. Now, when you die, if you're in Christ, if you're saved, you go to heaven and you continue to praise the Lord. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, would you deliver me? Would you heal me? So I have more opportunity in this life to make a big deal about you. I want you to be glorified from my life. So would you save me so I can give you more glory before a watching world? Now, this is really helpful because sometimes we pray for people to be to be healed physically, right? And what's our reason usually? Well, because we just we love them, we want them to be healed. We ask for God to heal them. But what about in your prayer life as you as you ask for healing, maybe personal healing or healing for somebody else? What about praying like this? God, would you heal me in my in my sickness so I can have more days on this earth to glorify your name? So I can have more time to bring you glory. So I can make a bigger impact in those around me. Give me more life so I can give you more praise. Good way to pray, isn't it? That's how David is praying. And so once I go down to Sheol, which the word Sheol, by the way, in the Old Testament means basically the grave. Once I go to the grave, I'm no longer on the earth. I no longer have that opportunity to glorify you with my life. Then I'm in eternity. And so he's He's desiring to glorify God with his life. That's his desire, to give God glory. That is his aim. That is his purpose. That is what he wants to do. And I hope, I talked about this Sunday in my sermon, I hope that you and I will live with a passion for the glory of God, that we want God to get the glory and the fame that he alone deserves. So we've seen God's, uh, or sorry, David's discipline, David's prayer and David's desire. But fourth, I want you to see David's confidence. David's confidence. So he's in difficult circumstances, and he's praying. He gives it to God. And notice how his faith seems to strengthen at the end of the psalm. After he turns it into a prayer, look what happens next. Verse 8. Depart from me, all workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Notice how strong his faith is here. Notice his confidence at the end of the psalm. Here's what we learn from that. This is so important. If you don't walk away with anything else tonight, I want you to walk away 
chewing on this phrase. You ready? Prayer leads to confident faith. Prayer leads to confident faith. If you feel like your faith is weak and struggling, turn it into prayer. Pray. Talk to God about your life. Put it in His hands. And I promise you, when you put it in your hands, He will give you a confidence and a strength in your life. Prayer leads to confident faith. I believe one of the reasons we struggle so much with with confidence in God is because we haven't gone to Him in prayer. It's like the old hymn says, Oh, what, um, let's see, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? That's a good word. It's a good hymn. We, we forfeit peace and we carry around with us needless pain and we walk around with weak faith because we don't give God our life, life issues in prayer. Prayer leads to confident faith. If you want to have stronger faith, become a person of passionate, fervent, consistent, continual unswerving, never-failing prayer. Prayer leads to confident faith. Now, let me show you the areas in which David is confident. First of all, David is confident that the Lord knows his grief. Look what he says there, and this is so good, in verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. In other words, God knows what's going on in my life. God cares about my sorrow. And listen to me, you will never enjoy God's peace until you understand that He cares about your sorrow. And, and he, He's saying that here. God knows my, he knows my tears. He's heard the sound of my weeping. Now we see this in other places. Turn over to Exodus 3 with me. Exodus 3. This is the famous passage where God appears to Moses at the burning bush to say, Hey, Moses, won't you go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You're going to be the one that leads my people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. But look what he says to Moses at the burning bush in verse 7. Remember, the people of, of Israel, the Hebrew people, were in slavery in Egypt, and Pharaoh was treating them cruelly, trying to commit genocide against the children. He didn't want them to grow. Uh, the Egyptians were harsh taskmasters and the Hebrew people in Egypt were suffering. And they were crying out to God for help. And look what, what the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, watch this, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so here's what he's saying. Listen, my people have been suffering. They've been crying out. And God's saying, I've heard them. I know what they're going through. Listen to me. If you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, He cares about your suffering. He knows what you're going through. As a matter of fact, turn to Psalm 56. Let me show you just a really cool verse. Psalm 56. Psalm 
Look what it says in verse 8. Psalm 56, verse 8. Again, this is David. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You know how many times I toss and turn in bed. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Isn't that amazing? You know what David's saying there? He's saying, David, uh, David's saying, God, every tear that streams down my cheek, you have a record of it. You know why that tear is there. You know what's going on in my life. You know what's behind it. You keep a record in your book. You care about my grief. You care about my sorrow. And listen to me. Listen to me, folks. God cares about what you're going through. He does. He knows why every tear that streams from your eye, he knows why it's there. He knows what's behind it. The Lord knows our grief. And David is confident that the Lord knows his grief. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? Let us learn to think of tears as liquid prayers and of weeping as a constant dropping of importunate intercession which will wear its way right surely into the very heart of mercy. Despite the stony difficulties which have struck the way, my God, I will weep when I cannot plead for thou hearest the voice of my weeping. So listen to me. David's saying, I'm confident. I've been shedding lots of tears because of my circumstances, because of my pain. And God, you know all about my tears. You have kept track of my tears. So back in Psalm 6, David is confident that the Lord knows his grief. Secondly, David is confident that the Lord has heard his prayers. Look what it says there in Psalm 6, verse 9. The Lord has heard my plea. I'm praying and God hears me. He's my father. He's there. None of my prayers hit the ceiling. God, because of Jesus, because I have a relationship with him, God hears my prayers. And it's a great comfort for you and I to understand that when we pray, God hears us. That's why he invites us to pray. He wants us to hear, he wants to hear what we have to say. And then the third thing David is confident about is this. David is confident that the Lord will answer his prayers. Look what he says in verse 9. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. He hears it. He accepts it. He acts upon it. He answers my prayers. And that gave David great confidence. No matter what's going on in my life, David's saying, I've prayed about it. I've put it in God's hands. And God, he knows my suffering. He knows my tears. He's heard my prayer. He accepts my prayer. God is on the job now. And I don't have to worry. My family right now has a favorite song uh, we've been listening to. And when we're in the van traveling together, we'll put it on. And it's called Warrior. It's a, it's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And it talks about being a prayer warrior is what the song is about. And there's a, a line in there that always is so encouraging to me. It's talking about when we pray, when we take our needs and requests and anxieties and burdens and cares and we give them to God in prayer. Here's the line. He says, The enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. So listen to me. When you take your circumstances, your problems, your, your challenges, your maladies, your hardships, when you take those things and you give them to God... Now, and I don't say this irreverently, but now they're God's problem. 
And guess what? He can handle it. He wants us to give us our problems. Over in in, uh, 1 Peter 5, it says, Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. He wants us to give us, uh, He wants us to give Him our problems. And the enemy trembles because when we give to God, now it's, it's in God's hands, right? And Satan can do nothing about it because God's the one that's dealing with that problem now, not us. So the Lord will answer our prayers. And David had confident, confidence that the Lord would answer his prayers. Every time you take a concern in your life and you place it in God's hands in prayer, the enemy trembles. Because the battle's not yours anymore. Now God's on the job. Amen? So we need to learn to pray and to put it in His hands. And so Psalm 6 is a a prayer of repentance. David is being disciplined. He understands that and he wants to get right with God. And David uh, is confident as he prays. He's confident in God's work in his life. That God's going to bring this all to a desirable conclusion. a, A psalm of repentance and a psalm of confidence. So the next time you find yourself going through something hard, and maybe it's because things aren't right in your life, they need to be made right in your life. Maybe it's God trying to get your attention. Go to Psalm 6 and read it and pray it back to God. The next time you feel like you're overwhelmed by life or surrounded by enemies or surrounded by hardship, go to Psalm 6 and pray and remember that God knows your tears and He, he hears your prayers and He accepts your plea and know that when you pray, the battle is no longer yours. It's in God's hands where, and that's where it always Belong. So a psalm of repentance and a psalm of confidence.